The uh, term hybrid has become part of our regular uh, vocabulary, don't you think? And uh, the concept, it just permeates our culture. Hybrid here, hybrid there, everywhere hybrid. And it really took off with the introduction of the first hybrid car in the U.S., which was the Toyota Prius about 20 years ago. And uh, it was, you know, in all the commercials, and, and it was the cool thing to have. It was trendy because, of course, a hybrid, it combines the, the electric ability, you know, to drive on electricity uh, along with the gas, and it's supposed to save the gas because it pulls mostly from that battery and replenishes the energy every time that you brake, and, and it was just revolutionary. Oh, it's going to save you tons and tons of money. Fuel economy is going to be great. Uh, it's the wave of the future, and so then everybody else, you know, jumped on board. That's the way they do it. When when one product comes out, then there's more uh, throughout all the different uh, companies. They rush to do the same thing. And hybrids, hybrid cars have definitely come a long way uh, in the years since the debut of the Prius about 20 years ago. This is the silent but swift um, hybrid car that Pastor Matthew can be seen zipping around in. Um, his car is a Chevy Volt. I just love saying that, Volt. And um, I think it's a 2017 model, is that right? Yes, it's a 2017 model. Uh, it has lots of technology inside, which makes sense for Matthew to have. And the electric charge on the Volt lasts much, much longer than other hybrids. There's a distinction to make between his hybrid and others because his is a plug-in hybrid. And uh, the battery is larger, and, and it lasts longer, and the range is longer, and, and all kinds of great stuff. And uh, as you would expect, if you know Matthew Hill, he very cleverly named it Watson. Watson. Get it? Watt, wattage, Watson. They'll get it later. They'll, they'll get it later. And examples of hybrid things have definitely gone beyond just cars. Uh, things like Zonkeys. We've got a cute little picture of a zonkey there. Yes, hybrid of a of a donkey and a zebra. Or you've got zorse. There's you know a zebra and a horse. They're becoming more common to see in zoos. And even the Creation Museum in Kentucky has one or two that you can see. Um, it's it's a little weird, but uh, hey, whatever. Um, closer to home, you don't have to go to a zoo anymore. Hybrids are a big part of the pet world too. Uh, look no further than the Bowers family, and there, as Timo puts it, their fantastic golden doodles. Uh, that, that is not one of theirs. Um, that's actually our own little hybrid that we got close to Christmas. Uh, she is an Aussie doodle. That is Reese. That's our own little hybrid, and feel free to do the obligatory. Yes, yes. She is cute, but don't be fooled by her cute appearance. She can also be a little demon. But cute she is, and getting better. She's our our little hybrid, the Aussie doodle breed. And uh, so hybrids are just everywhere. They're all through our culture. We've become used to that term, that concept. And the church world, believe it or not, the church world is no stranger to the hybrid concept and hasn't been for quite some time. For a long, long time, Baptist churches especially, including our own, have taken a hybrid approach to their leadership structure. And here's what I mean. Um, 
most of us will be familiar with the concept of elders. You know, we'll, we'll be familiar with that just as we look through Scripture. I mean, it's, it's pretty undeniable. If you have any, any familiarity with Scripture at all, uh, in the New Testament especially, it's going to come up. So, and you've, you've heard the term elders. Uh, we are in, especially Baptist churches, much more familiar, though, even than elders, with the term deacons. Deacons. I mean, we know about deacons. Here's what we do with it, though. Like you see there on the screen, um, most, most Baptist churches, maybe I shouldn't say most, many Baptist churches, uh, again, including our own, take the hybrid approach where you have the biblical office of elders and you have the biblical office of deacons, and what we have done is we've crammed them together, and the result of that is this weird hybrid thing we, we might as well call L-deacons. Because what we've tried to do, and, and again, it's not just us, it's, it's kind of become the Baptist thing to do. We've tried to combine the biblical distinct offices because there is a distinction. Don't miss the distinction. Elders and deacons, and we have tried to combine the two into this one office. And the problem with that is that's just not in the Bible. It's just not there. Uh, you're not going to find that, that hybrid model. You can look and you can search and agonize over uh, the pages of Scripture, but it's just not going to be there. You're, you're not going to have this hybrid combination. What you do have in the Bible all throughout the New Testament, uh, all throughout church history, is elders and deacons. Two distinct offices with two distinct functions and roles, um, multiple functions and roles that are distinct from one another, that are not meant to be sandwiched together into this one um, modern invention or convention, uh, you know, kind of coming up with this weird uh, L-deacon model. That's not what's intended. It's elders and deacons. And you even have different uh, words that are given. Uh, in the original Greek for these two offices. Uh, when you see the word elder uh, or, or overseer, uh, that's the word episkopos, episkopos. And it means literally overseer or guardian or shepherd. Okay? Uh, deacons, the word is diakonos, and that means ministering servant or assistant. So you have separate terms for separate offices separate functions, separate roles and responsibilities. Uh, That is the intention of what God set up for His church. That's the pattern that we see in the New Testament. Uh, And it really was meant to be carried along and implemented all throughout the church in every age. And it wasn't ever supposed to be something that was just designated according to a certain denomination. You know, like, oh, well, that's not what we do. That's what those kinds of churches have. And you can fill in the blank with what comes to your mind as far as those churches are concerned. In other words, it wasn't meant to be something that, uh, for example, the Baptist church looked at and said, no, I don't think we'll do it that way. It wasn't meant to be that way. It was meant to be something that was followed and implemented and something that marked the way church leadership functioned regardless of denomination. And because of that, uh, it has led several um, men of God 
and who are, are definitely what we would consider scholars and, and very experienced people to, uh, to produce resources that remind us of the fact that this is the way Christ intended for His church to operate when it comes to leadership. Elders and deacons. Uh, one such resource, an excellent, excellent book uh, that I highly recommend is the book Why Elders. You see it there on your screen. Why Elders by Benjamin Merkel. And here's the really neat part about this book and this author. He is a Baptist pastor and a Baptist professor um, at, uh, at a seminary and um, very, very much uh, part of the core group of leadership uh, among the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, and he is one that is absolutely a proponent of the congregational church. Um, he views the congregational model, which we are, uh, as absolutely biblical, which I agree with. But he also absolutely uh, is a proponent of and, and a supporter of an advocate for the return to the biblical model of leadership, which is not just simply to have deacons and trying to have both elder and deacon sandwiched into that one thing, but, but to have the biblical focus of elders and deacons, along with being a congregational model. And so this book is all about um, what that looks like, why that's important. It's called Why Elders. Subtitle is A Biblical and Practical Guide for Church Members. So, I mean, that's you. And uh, I, I was intending to have several copies of this already available. It was sold out, uh, so I have to wait on that. I'll let you know when we get more in stock, but you don't have to wait for me. I would encourage you to, to go ahead and try to get yourself a copy. It is back in stock now uh, at several different places, and I would just encourage you to start with Kay. Start with Kay Tiener at the Christian Bookstore. I know she would love to, to help you find a copy. Um, if she doesn't have it in the store, she's usually able to get one by way of order. Uh, so don't wait for me to, to get them here. I am intending to do that, um, but go ahead and jump on this. Um, the leadership here at our church has already gone through this together. Uh, we have all been greatly encouraged by this, and we are in agreement on what, uh, what he writes about. I just wanted to share really quick one excerpt from the introduction of the book, so uh, just listen to, to what he shares in the introduction, which really sets the groundwork for why he wrote this, okay? He says, in recent years, the importance of having a biblical church organizational structure, a biblical church organizational structure, has become a central issue in many churches. Pastors study the New Testament and realize that their churches do not reflect what they find in Scripture. Church members, likewise, read their Bibles and wonder why their churches do not have elders or why the deacons rule the church instead of serve the church. In my opinion, this awareness is both a good sign and a bad sign. It is a good sign because it is healthy when God's people desire to be faithful and committed to His Word. I, I would say amen to that. I'm sure you would as well. The Bible should be our standard for all faith and practice. Amen. But it is also a bad sign because it reveals that we have drifted from God's model for the church, and it demonstrates that the church has lost confidence in the sufficiency of Scripture. Instead, 
we have patterned our churches after a successful corporate model, kind of like that top-down CEO-driven leadership, or a purely democratic model. Consequently, a return to a biblical model of government is desperately needed in the church today. So that's the introduction and um, the leadership here at this church. Let me just just say right now and and here that uh, the leadership here, we completely, completely affirm the importance of this this concept and this strategy uh, to return to a truly, just completely biblical model of church organization or church leadership, uh, we agree that it's something we need to implement and that it's time, that it's the right time to do that. Um, I acknowledge, we acknowledge, all of us uh, together, the pastors, the deacons, as they are now, um, we also acknowledge that uh, change is never comfortable. You know, nobody just loves change. Even if it's a good change, change is still difficult and it can be uncomfortable. Uh, we acknowledge that. We also acknowledge that, um, as the, the book alludes to, and as I alluded to earlier, uh, for, for many, many years, I mean decades upon decades, um, many, many Baptist churches just don't go down that road of, of having elders and deacons. So we know that it's, in many ways, a foreign concept. But... We also, greater than that, more than that, affirm that it is absolutely, undeniably, a biblical concept. And as our theme for 2022 is, I'll remind you all of our theme for our church for the, for the year, for 2022. It's living by faith, led by truth. Living by faith and led by truth. That's our theme for everything that we do and and everything that we pursue here at Faith Baptist Church for 2022 and, God willing, beyond, uh, but especially concentrated on this year. That's what we want to to look back on this year and say we did. We pursued that. We pursued living by faith. We pursued being led by truth in all things, in all areas, and that includes the area of church leadership and church organizational structure. It has to include that. If we're going to really be people that live by faith according to God's Word, and we're going to be people, we're going to be a church that are led by truth that's found in God's Word, then that needs to cover every area. We can't exclude things like church leadership from that. That has to be included in our pursuit of being people that are, are living by faith and led by truth. And you find both sources, the source and the strength for being people and being a church that are living by faith and led by truth, you find that in God's Word. All of it. You can't pick and choose. So it's not just about what I say. It's not even about what someone like Benjamin Merkel has to say as as well as he says it in this little, very little, but very profound book. The question we need to ask ourselves as it relates to the concept and area of church leadership in in every area is, what does the Bible say? Right? That's the question we need to ask in all things. What does the Bible say? Because it is, it is the timeless, universal, always relevant source of truth. It's the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. So what does the Bible have to say 
about this area specifically, the area of elders and deacons and that structure. Well, first of all, I want to draw your attention to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And what we're going to see here, although it's not um, explicitly said in, in words, uh, elder and deacon, you're going to see, and I hope you see it clearly, you're going to see that pattern established. You're going to see the precedence for that. Um, though the terms are not used, uh, certainly the, the foundation is established right here in the early days of the church. So the church really is in its infant stage. It, it has just started, uh, and it was growing and increasing rapidly. God was blessing powerfully in this new institution called the church. And Scripture says this, Acts 6, verse 1, In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, and that's the followers of Christ, so as the church was growing and increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution the daily distribution of food and supplies and provisions. So verse 2, the twelve, that's the twelve apostles, which were absolutely the first elders of the church. They were the the people that were set aside, that God had set aside to to, uh, begin and shepherd and guard and govern the new institution of the church, the body of Christ. So the twelve summoned the whole company, that's important, the whole company of the disciples. In other words, they got the whole church together and said, it would not be right for us, us elders, to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. In other words, we have a very specific role that we were given by our Savior. When Jesus called us, and before he went back to the Father, he talked about this new thing called the church. He was very, very clear that we were to be the the spiritual leaders. We were to, to give our attention to preaching the Word, to praying, to equipping you uh, for the life and work of the ministry. We were to build the body. Uh, we weren't really to be involved in, in the details of this kind of thing. Of, of getting down and, and actually you know, serving out food and provisions for every, every single person. That's just not what we're supposed to do here. So here's what they came up with as a solution. Verse 3, brothers and sisters. Again, he's ta- they're, they're talking to the whole body, the congregation, if you will. Okay? Brothers and sisters, select from among you. That's another really important aspect. They didn't say, we're going to just take this thing and and tell you what you're going to do, and you have no say, you have no voice. That's not what we see here. They said, brothers and sisters, select you, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. So you've got the elders of the church, the twelve apostles, 
And this situation, this dilemma has been brought to them. Hey, we're, we're, you're having people among the church that aren't getting taken care of. What are we going to do about this? And they're, they're saying, well, we have a very, very clear focus that we're supposed to stay focused on. So here's what we're going to do. We want you to pray and think about people that you see as being able to serve in this other role, this, this other function, this other office. You bring them to us and we will appoint them to this duty of actually caring for the body, of serving the body. Verse 4, but we, we elders, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So they present this solution to the church. Verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole company. So there again you see that the body has a voice. They have a say. This is presented to them, and the apostles or elders say, how does this sound? What do you guys think? Are you on board with this? This proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Temen, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. And verse 6, they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So what you see here uh, is the first ordination, the setting apart and the ordination of deacons. You already had elders, the twelve apostles. Now you have this new office, this new function that's part of the church leadership structure called deacons. Even though, again, it's not explicitly termed that yet at this point, they certainly are already doing that. And every time they they mention um, serving and and ministering to the church, uh, that was definitely what they were talking about, the serving and assisting of of the elders for the purpose of serving the body. Verse 7, the result of that, uh, the result of this, this happening and, and really just freeing up the elders to do what they were called to do very specifically, look at what verse 7 says. So the word of God spread, the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. In other words, God honored this, God blessed this, and God used this new uh, office of deacons uh, to, to really help the church grow even more. So this wasn't something that just people came up with and it sounded good. This clearly was something that God directed and He blessed. He blessed the creation of it. And this is such a beautiful picture of how the church is supposed to function organizationally. It's elders and deacons, partners in the gospel, partners in the work of the church, partners in serving the church. You have the elders that are serving through teaching and through equipping the church body, the congregation. They're meeting the spiritual needs of the congregation. And the intention is that the deacons also serve by ministering in, the, in a physical way, in a, in a more hands-on way, logistical way, um, the physical needs, assisting the church as they have need. And both are working together, and all are working together, the church congregation, the church body, with the elders, with the deacons, all going together in the way God would have them to go. Uh, it's, it's just really a beautiful thing. So you have elders, you have deacons, all the while the church being directly involved in the whole process, uh, in decisions that are made going forward uh, in each local body. 
And this, so this is what was established right at, the, right at the beginning, right at the birth of the church. And we see this pattern, this process, continued to be established as the church goes forward. And these next passages, bear with me. I'm going to kind of go through them rapidly. I'm not going to dig in deep. We're going to do that as we go forward uh, over the next few weeks in the series. I just want to establish for you today um, the pattern, right? The, the picture of it and the, uh, the fact of this is what was intended for the church to have. So you have, we saw in Acts, in Acts chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 7, we see the establishment of this distinct role, elder and deacon, uh, now you're going to see that it becomes absolutely just part of how the church is to function. It becomes uh, a way of life. It becomes essential as we go forward. Philippians 1.1, Paul is writing, and he says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers, that's episkopos, elders, and deacons. Diakonos. So the overseers and deacons. So clearly these offices are established and expected. Established and expected. Because he's writing to this this church in Philippi and he's writing to those overseers and deacons. And you see the plurality of them. He didn't just say to the pastor or he didn't just say to the deacons. He said the overseers and deacons. All right, moving on from that. Like I said, I'm going to go kind of kind of rapid fire here, so hang with me. 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 3 and verses 8 through 10, we're going to see the qualifications, the qualifications for these offices and the men that occupy them, the qualifications for overseers and deacons. That's in 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 3 start the qualifications for the elders or the overseers, verses 8 through 10, start the qualifications for the deacons. And like I said, we're not going to go deep into this right now. That's going to be as we continue in the series. So starting next week, we'll go deeper. Uh, But I just want you to notice the distinction. Don't miss the distinction. Don't ignore the distinction here. Okay. Uh, First Timothy chapter three, verses one through three, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer or elder, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, able to handle the word, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. So, and then there's other verses following, but this establishes the, the core qualifications, the key qualifications for the men that will occupy the office of overseer or elder. Okay? Now, verses 8 through 10, Paul says this, Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. So, again, you see the distinction. Elders, and they have qualifications unique to their office, and you have deacons and qualifications for them. And they're very similar qualifications, but they're still separate offices, separate functions. Acts chapter 14 Acts chapter 14, uh, verses 21 through 23. And this is Paul's missionary journey. 
and he, he's with Barnabas, and they're going all throughout Asia Minor, and they're, they're preaching, and they're starting churches, they're planting churches, and I want you to pay attention to the way they go about establishing the leadership in these new churches, these brand new churches. Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 23. After they had preached the gospel in that town, and that town is Derby, we see that in the, the verses uh, previous to this, After they preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them, it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And here's what I really want you to to focus on. Verse 23, when they had appointed elders, plural, for them in every church, so they had appointed elders, plural, elders in every church. So every church that they established, they immediately, their first thing to do is to establish, to appoint a plurality of elders. Notice, they didn't start with deacons. They didn't say that, that they, they appointed deacons in every church. No, they, they started with the elders, knowing that just as the pattern was at the very beginning in Acts chapter 6, that would be the pattern. You establish elders... The elders go to the church body and they say, choose from among you people who can serve as deacons and will appoint them. That's the pattern. So when they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And this is the model that is supposed to happen on and on and on through every age and through every denomination, including our own. Before I came to faith, to be the pastor here, my wife and I started a church. We had moved back from Virginia where we had been ministering uh, in a local church there for several years, and we felt God calling us back to this area, and the initial call was to plant a brand new church. Yeah, I know, crazy, right? Like Beckley needed more churches, but hey, that's what we felt strongly uh, led to do, and we did, and we, we started LifePoint Church. That was before we came here and it was a church that was started literally from scratch. It had not been there before. We started it. And the thing that we did um, by way of leadership was exactly this. Uh, we appointed elders. And I was part of a church network at the time uh, of other church plants, and they helped us through that process. But we immediately established elders, and the deacons would follow after that. Uh, because, again, you, you just can't get away unless you just ignore that this is the biblical model. That's the biblical pattern for how it's supposed to be. That's how the church leadership structure is supposed to be and how it's supposed to function. All right, then, um, Titus 1.5, last, last reference here. Titus 1.5. Again, pattern continuing. Pattern continuing. Paul is writing to Pastor Titus. And he says this, The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone. And that is a a very, very key role of any elder. Again, we'll get into that later. Uh, That's not something that we're going to go deep with right now. Today's purpose is is really just a zoomed out view, broad um, introduction type type view. He said, "I, I left you in Crete to set right what was left undone. And here's the other reason I left you in Crete, Titus. And as I directed you to appoint elders, 
in every town. So go through every, every town and establish churches just like I did, just like my way was to do, follow my pattern, appoint elders in every town and in every church that is established in every town. Appoint elders, appoint elders, appoint elders. Start with the elders. Then you have another office appointed after they are appointed. So with all that, I know I went through that quickly, but I hope you saw the picture, the pattern, the intended focus, and the the intended form and function of how the church leadership is supposed to be. So the question then is, it's a very natural and logical question, with all of that established, why do so many churches still avoid the biblical model of leadership? I mean, you saw it, you heard it, it's scriptural, it's objective. Why do so many churches still avoid or ignore the biblical model of leadership? I want to suggest to you these reasons. One, misperception. Misperception. Simply not fully grasping or understanding, perceiving what is meant by elders and deacons and the distinguishing factors there and, and why that's important, or uh, assuming uh, what it is and, and often incorrectly assuming, reading into uh, these things that, are, that, things that are not intended uh, or not accurate. So a misperception is, is a big reason. Uh, and I think even more more common than just being a misperception, I think the reason is fear. Fear. And specifically, fear of not having a voice, first of all, not having a voice, a fear that, okay, if we, if we have elders, and if we're going to be an elder-led church now, that means the congregation no longer has a say, no longer has a voice, no longer has a part in the process of, of deciding things, and, and it's just like uh, a dictatorship. That, that sometimes can be the assumption. Uh, I've heard that. That is not at all, though, what the Bible intends. I hope you saw that in Acts chapter 6. I hope you heard me very clearly as I stressed the fact that that is not to be the intention. Uh, Because Acts and, and other passages show that the biblical pattern never, ever intends that suddenly the church body no longer has a part to play, no longer has a say or a voice. Being elder led and congregational, listen to me, church. Being elder-led and congregational are not mutually exclusive. Rather, that's the biblical model. It's one of balance and harmony. It's the elders and the deacons and the, the congregation, the members, all working and serving together. And it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. At least that's the intention. So there is the fear of, of not having a voice, and then right along with that, fear of doing things differently. Fear of doing things differently. In other words, breaking with tradition. Breaking with tradition uh, or what's expected. You know, like, well, that's just not how we do it at this church. That's not how we've done it at this church. That's not how this kind of church operates. I mean, that's a very common thing to say or, and a common thing to hear. I can't tell you the number of times throughout my ministry years in different churches that I've heard that answer given or that defense raised any time there's something that is challenged uh, or any time you know, a change needs to happen. Inevitably, that kind of answer comes up. Well, I hear you, but that's just not the way we do it at 
this church, or this kind of church doesn't operate that way. And so fear comes in. Fear and defense, and you kind of bristle. Well, that's just, that's different. That's different. That's new. And so there's a fear of doing things differently or breaking with tradition. But here's Here's why that cannot be our final answer. Here's why that is not sufficient to to stop from making necessary changes when they are needed to get more in line with a biblical approach or to be more aligned biblically. Here's why we can't let that deter us. What God says, not what man thinks, should be what we do. Okay, That's why we can't let misperception, and we can't let fear of things that we, we perceive or assume to be happening or the result of change, we can't let fear keep us from doing what we need to do if we are out of alignment with what Scripture clearly provides. Because what God says, what God says, not what man thinks, should be what we do in all things in every area, at all times, even the uncomfortable things. God's Word, not man-made tradition, needs to form the foundation of our convictions and our practice, our methods, our form, our function. We need to be very careful that we are not guilty of what the Pharisees and the scribes were guilty of when Jesus rightly rebuked them for elevating their own tradition and man-made tradition over, over what clearly God had established and was real in His Word. Jesus said to the Pharisees in Mark 7, 8, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And He said, rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and they teach as doctrine or as commands of God, their tradition of, of man. Uh, and and they, don't, they, they don't hold up what God says. They pursue what man says or what they say, and they want man to listen to them rather than God. He said, Isaiah prophesied about you, and you are absolutely fulfilling that prophecy. You're so concerned about your traditions and the tradition of man that you neglect or you just outright throw away um, the will and the Word of God. May we never be guilty of that, Faith Baptist. May we never be guilty of ignoring the will and Word of God over our own tradition. Let's not be guilty of that. We cannot let fear of change, even though I acknowledge, we acknowledge, yeah, change, it's scary, it's uncomfortable, but we can't let the fear of change or the fear of breaking with tradition Keep us from acting in faith and in obedience to what God has clearly prescribed. Because that's what He's done in His Word and specifically related to this concept. Something as important as church leadership. He has clearly, graciously prescribed how it's supposed to function, what it's supposed to look like. And we need to be careful that we, we don't neglect acting in faith and in obedience to that. Listen, being Baptist is all good and well. It's all good and well. Uh, I grew up in, in a Baptist church, and, and um, all the churches I have served and been part of have been Baptist churches. Being Baptist is all good and well. But, listen, listen, Let, let's make sure that we are, are biblical Baptists, 
not just simply traditional Baptists. Okay? Uh, we can hold to certain distinctives, and we should. We can hold to certain distinctives uh, that are distinctly Baptist. We can hold to those distinctives, and we should, without missing or ignoring the biblical distinctions for how our leadership should function. Just, just because um, we, we hold to, you know, quote, Baptist distinctives, and there's a whole list of those, doesn't mean that we, we cannot honor and follow the distinctions for how our church leadership should be. And the reason that we need to be so intentional about this, final thought that I leave you with is this. We will never go wrong when we do things God's way because His way is always the right way. Do you believe that? We will never go wrong when we do things God's way. Because His way is always the right way. And that, that covers every area. That covers the entire ground of all things related to being the church. And that's what we need to pursue. So we're going to walk through this together. And we're going to walk with, with grace. Uh, we're not going to you know, rush through this. I mean, what we're talking about here, like I said at the beginning, the entire leadership structure here and team as it stands now completely is in agreement with this concept and seeing this change happen here. Um, we believe it's necessary. We believe it's vital. We believe it's the right time. However, saying that, we also want to be um, sensitive and, and uh, aware of the fact that something like this, as different as it is from what has always been done, we need to walk Gently, we need to walk with, with grace, and we need to be sensitive to that. So this isn't going to be like a, a, a mad dash, a mad sprint. We're going we're gonna to walk carefully. We're going to walk with wisdom and discretion and discernment and with grace. And uh, we want to we wanna go through this together with you, okay? So uh, as we go forward in this series, we're going to go deeper into these two separate offices and their functions. And uh, I really feel that God will honor that. I think he'll bless it. And I think we'll look back and say, thank you, God, for what you did in this body. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how clear it is. Thank you for making it always relevant. Thank you for giving us so many examples of, of how things are supposed to look and function, what they're supposed to be like, what they're supposed to do. You don't just leave us to come up with our own uh, interpretations and trying to make things happen on our own. You give us clear blueprints for how you want your church to be and to go. You've, you've helped us so tremendously by, by giving us precedent and patterns and pictures for how things like this, like eldership and deacons, how that's supposed to be, what that's supposed to look like. Thank you for being so gracious in preserving your word in preserving these patterns and these directives. Father, help us in 2022 as, as a New Testament church that seeks to be faithful to what a New Testament church is. Help us to navigate well what you have prescribed in your word. Give us wisdom, give us discretion, give us discernment, and give us boldness, please, 
to push past fear and apprehension and to do what you've called us to do, to be what you've called us to be, and to function how you've called us to function. Empower us by your Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.